You're listening to the Just Go Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Wyatt, from the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. And I'm TJ Jeskowitz with RAGBRAI. This is the podcast where we talk about bicycles just for the fun of it. There's going to be tales from bicycling across the nation, and we're going to be joined each week by guests to talk about the social side of bicycling. So come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. Yeah, leave with a smile. I tell you what, this is Ragbri Eve, and the <laughs> tension and the excitement is building, and you know the towns are nervously excited, and the riders are taking the bus out of the barn, and they're spit-shining up their bicycles and getting getting ready for... Without a doubt, the greatest week of the year, Ragbri Week. And if if you're new to this ride, after Sunday, everything that anybody's told you will make complete sense. Yeah. Until that point, it's going to be a little confusing. But once you've been on the ride, you're like, oh, that's what they mean by Kaiba. Yeah. You know, the little things, uh, little things are kind of uh, unique to this culture uh, of bicycling. Yeah. And if you are on your first ragbri, it might be helpful to just take out that black sharpie, write the word "virgin" down one of your calves, <laughs> and you know that'll just identify you as being new to the ride, and just people who are just there to give you a helping hand along the way. And and on the other calf, you you write your first letter of your last name. So when we line up alphabetically, no, we're kidding. <laughs> we're kidding. Yeah. There's no uh, there's no group start. We don't line up in the morning or anything yeah. like that. So uh, yeah. Yeah. People are just. Yeah. Oh, I've just got you know just some texts over the last couple of days that just have made me chuckle. Just people sending little snapshots of hey they got the bus ready and you know got got the bike ready and look at look at this got a new bike or you know just oh the the level of excitement. And you can you you can just sense it, you know. And it's not just here in Iowa. People coming from all over the world that we just get together the greatest bike reunion in the world, and it's just about to start over in Orange City. Once you're out there, it's hard to stop too. I, I know Jennifer and Iowa. One of the things we talk about is when we hit the river, we just want to keep going and keep riding our bikes. And it's just too bad we can't find a job that makes us do that all the time. Yes, yeah. it would be a blast. Well, yeah. something cool on the Just Go Bike podcast, we are highlighting each of the days of RAGBRAI. So you, me, and Kyle Munson just put down our thoughts on what's in stake or what's coming up on the week of RAGBRAI. So those were fun to do and just kind of talk about what's what's to expect. So um, I, I think so listeners will enjoy those. If you're looking for some way to kind of drift off and sleep and you want to hear our voices before you go to bed in the campgrounds, tune into the podcast and, and pick up uh, subliminally what's happening the day before. Or if you're in that other campgrounds and you want to just put your earbuds in so you can't hear anything else that's going on, you know, tune into our podcast. That'll give you the update for the next day and, and uh, block out any of the other noise from generators and people tripping over your tent stakes and that's perhaps of thing. snoring on the uh on the cot in the in the unair conditioned gym that they might be sleeping in <laughs> yeah yeah that could it's be a little bit perfect. more enjoyable or just sitting in the kaibo whatever you know i mean those are all all places you can listen to the podcast on fantastic yeah. hey what do we have on our show today well i think we caught up with sarah cooper um sarah as you know just rode that little race across america called ram and she did pretty darn well top overall female uh finisher and i think she was about 10th or 11th overall 
simply an, an amazing, an amazing woman to, you know, put to, yeah. to dedicate her, you know, basically last year or so of her life to prepare and train and just, just, had, you know, tip of the helmet to, to Sarah Cooper, you know, made all Iowans proud with the, with that accomplishment the other week. Yeah. I saw on Twitter that she's back on her bike and uh, looking uh, forward to training for the next event that she's going to do. So there's no stopping that woman. She's uh, she's on a tear. I heard she was training for Ragbred, but that might have been a little over the top <laughs> to um, you know put that many miles in. But you know, if she wants to come out, we'll f- we'll find a spot for her. Hey, sounds good. Let's get to our show. Hello, Just Go Bike listeners. This is Kyle Munson, columnist and bicyclist with the Des Moines Register and this Just Go Bike crew. I am sitting here with uh, some people who might be, who are familiar if you've been listening to this podcast. We have followed on Just Go Bike the adventures of Sarah Cooper on the race across America. And now that she has finished the race and she was the first female finisher this year and uh, rookie of the year and there are so many different ways that we can slice and dice her amazing performance biking across the country in 11 days and change, um, we wanted to sit down again. So we had an interview with her uh, months ago, if you go back in the podcast, before she embarked. And we also caught up with her team during the race. But now we're sitting down with Sarah and a couple of her team members just to talk about the whole adventure. And because they can ask each other and uh, more questions and trigger memories uh, more than my colleague uh, Brian Powers and I could think up in, in the next 20, 30 minutes. So let's introduce who's on the mic. Steve, why don't you start? Uh, Steve Fuller. I'm the daytime navigator, uh, I guess bike mechanic, and keeper of sanity for Sarah. And I'm Darren Monroe. I, uh, I was a nutritionist on the night crew and also uh, keeper of sanity. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Sarah Cooper. And you are you are the holder of the sanity. That's, I mean, that's a relative term, but yes. Well, I, it's so hard to even know where to begin after the odyssey that you guys shared, that you went through. You know, one thing I, I guess I do want to ask Sarah to start with, I know that you got sick of people asking you, why did you do this? And we asked you, why did you do that? And so I don't want to ask that, but I, you talked about how mentally you prepared yourself to do this. And one thing you did was to remove every excuse in your mind for not finishing, right? And I want to know how you did that. So what was the mental process to be able to do what you did? Um, I, Ram is such a, such a challenging race, and there's just so many different things that you can face out there. I think my friend Rob White said it best. He said, if there's any one thing that you're not willing to endure, any one excuse that you're willing to just hang your hat on, when you're looking for a reason not to continue, you'll take it, you know, and you'll you'll not finish. Um, so for me, it was just a process of thinking about the different things that can go wrong, how I would address them, and knowing that that I was just going to have to push through whatever the race dealt me. Um, for me, you know, a lot of it is pain tolerance. You do have to have a very high pain tolerance, and for me, the biggest component in pain that I find the hardest to manage is fear. So for me, the fear is always knowing, not knowing how bad it's going to get 
or how long it's going to last. You know, how long am I going to have to suffer through this? And so when the pain set in in Colorado, um, I just set my mind to, well, I'm living through this until the finish line. Um, and, and just, I, I went into it with blind optimism that the pain wasn't going to get any worse, which unfortunately wasn't really the case. I think things just got worse as I went along, but, um, knowing that the finish line was relief and not allowing myself to think about anything other than the finish line is really how I finished that race. Wow. Well, and here we are uh, a week and a half, a couple of weeks after the race, and you walk in and you have uh, braces on your hands, and you talked about how your hands were numb. I mean, the pain got pretty intense, it seems like, toward the end. Yeah, the pain was pretty much localized um, to my shoulders and neck. That was the, the worst of it, um, in addition to just generally being uncomfortable everywhere else from being on the bike for so much. I mean, you just can't pretend that that's fun after a certain point. Um, and then the hand numbness came on. I think they were pretty well numb by, by Indiana. Wow. Um, but when, when the guys saw what was happening with my head and neck and that I had to sit up and, and ride on my hands, they padded my bars. I had two bikes that I could ride at that point. And so they padded my bars and essentially saved the nerve function of my hands. So, what I have now is um, inflamed carpal tunnels um, in the nerves in, in my hands, but thanks to them, I don't have permanent nerve damage. I have good motor function, and, and eventually I'll be fine. Wow. So what's it like for you guys in the crew? I mean, are you con- were you continually playing good cop, bad cop with uh, Sarah, like driving her on and yet also trying to comfort and reassure her at different times? What was that process like? I guess I can I can start with this. Um, I think I, the the phrase I keep coming back to is that this was really a, a graduate level human psychology experiment disguised <laughs> as a bike race. Um, it's it was really interesting for me to see how Sarah reacted to to certain situations and just what things would cause her to mentally falter or crumble a little bit. Um, we had a number of days where it was just extremely hot and normally I've never seen her have any issues with heat before. I knew she had problems with heat in the desert. She wanted to get out of there very quickly, but I mean, there were times where we were in the middle of Colorado or, or some other state and it was just basically had to trick her into riding for another 45 minutes until we got to a spot where, we could put her down for a nap in the middle of the day. And it's just, you take somebody at this level of performance and, and you find yourself sitting in the front seat of a van, basically telling them to please pedal the bike. So you don't fall over, please pedal to the next tree, please pedal to that group of flags. You'll get a nap there. It was, uh, she's a wonderful woman, but it was a 45 year old, um, toddler for a while at certain <laughs> points on the bike. Yeah, and you you mentioned good cop, bad cop. I made a, a joke one time that it was a good cop, worse or bad cop, worse cop. Um, you know, where where she'd have a, a hard day driving, uh, uh, you know, driving on in the heat, and then uh, be you know more of the same at at night. We wanted to uh, you know we wanted to get through this as soon as we could, um, and and not take excessive breaks, so to speak. So, um, you know, we did have different challenges at night. Um, you know, we, we dealt with the, the cold 
actually, you know, not as much as the not as much as the heat. But you know, those those extremes, the the hot and the cold, um, there were, I think there were challenges for for Sarah to you know to maintain a positive attitude as well. So, you know, getting back to the, the human psychology, I think we have, uh, you know, honorary sports psychology degrees, um, you know, getting her to go, uh, go on through, uh, you know, some pretty challenging conditions. Wow. And I think I struggled to communicate with them about what exactly it was I was going through when I wanted to stop. So, like Steve probably thought I wanted to get off the bike for the heat and what I was trying to convey to them without actually saying the term Shermer's neck was you need to get me off this bike <laughs> in a timely fashion so I can stretch before my head ends up flopping on my chest. <laughs> oh, wow! And so I was very reluctant to complain about my muscular situation to them. Um, and I don't, to this point, still know why I was so reluctant to say those words to them. It wasn't until Darren and I had a conversation somewhere in Kansas where I told him, I said, I need, I need my bars raised. And he's like, well, well, we'll try and get that done. And I said, no, there is no try. You will do this and you will get it done tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, I think, about the closest I ever came to saying Sherber's neck. Wow. But a lot of my reluctance to ride farther during the day was, if I don't give this neck a break, I'm not going to recover. Because you don't have really much time to recover. Uh, once it gets to a certain point, it either gets worse or it stays the same. And so for me, it was like, you know, I can ride so many hours before I need to give this a break and take you know, some time off the bike. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of our miscommunications was my <laughs> reluctance to let them know how bad it was, although it became pretty obvious how bad it was. <laughs> well, in a sense, it sounds like maybe that was a process of you trying to not trick yourself, but not to dwell on it yourself either. Yeah, I mean, you just certainly don't want to think about how bad that is. And that was, you know, that was something I had to, to deal with mentally that I really didn't want to let anyone else into, you know, the fact that this race that I've spent so much time preparing for, you know, you're in the shape of your life and you show up for this thing, you're in fourth for, you know, a thousand miles and then suddenly your body betrays you and you're looking at over 2000 miles of suffering to get to the finish line. So there was, the, <laughs> there was some stuff I was dealing with that I wasn't talking with them about. So yeah, it ended up being, it's suffer fest, essentially, for me. Well, and, that, and the stuff you're talking about, you so it was almost like a recognition of you. Uh, at that point, you had to kind of change your relationship with the race because you thought, well, I can't win now, but I can do, I can do with because of this neck condition. But I oh, can, and I knew I could win. No, that wasn't about not winning. I, <laughs> <laughs> I could and did win. Well, right, well, right. But I mean, <laughs> but you wanted to do, as I understand, I mean, that you would have done even, you wanted to do an even faster time, perhaps. Oh, yeah. The time should have been significantly faster than what it was. No, I'm not. Believe me, I, 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 I never want to race you. But <laughs> but I'm just saying, but some of the stuff you're dealing with, it seemed like there was a mental pivot that had to happen once uh, in Colorado or Kansas or somewhere where... Uh, it's just the nature of the race changed, like you said, with 2,000 miles left to go. Yeah, you know, and the funny thing was I was still arrogant enough to think I could win the women's race, so there was that. <laughs> <laughs> now, as we're talking about this, and you guys are just uh, reliving this, uh, you know, these 11 days and change, um, maybe we should explain explicitly to listeners that 
you, you guys were connected via headset. So you had these disembodied voices, almost like voices in your, each other's head that you're dealing with, right? And you probably still dream uh, of these messages back and forth. And I don't know, maybe, Sarah, that you're still, you, you still go to sleep and you have... Like you feel like you're on a bike. I don't know. Not at this point. I, <laughs> I had a, a few of those nights where I woke up and, and thought I was still racing. Um, but now, no, now it's back to, back to normal sleep. And uh, for you guys that were on the headset and, you know, and spurring her on, this was, it was kind of like a continuous conversation then. And you, and you did most of the talking, I imagine, as she's struggling along. I mean, it really, it really depended on her mood and, you know, what she was going through at the time, uh, you know, there were times where, you know, the, like for me in the morning, we kind of had a, a routine where I would get on the cardo first and Sarah would give me like this list of things that she wanted to make sure were passed on to other team members during the day and taken care of. So I would take notes. I would make sure that stuff got passed on, whether it was bike fit or food preferences or this is bothering me or I need to talk to somebody about this. So we play past the hat in the morning and then the, the crew chief would get whatever the crew chief got. Uh, the, the day nutritionist would get, you know, things about her nutrition, how her body was feeling, um, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but it was, it was always, uh, you know, kind of a question in our mind, like, you know, what, what Sarah are we going to get in the morning? Are we going to get, are we going to get a Sarah that's had a good night and be in a good mood? Or are we going to get a Sarah that's maybe had, <laughs> I guess, a, a rougher time for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some, you have to, you have to have a pretty thick skin, um, to do this uh, as a crew member. And sometimes you just, um, you know, you sit there <laughs> and you, uh, you take whatever she's dishing out and you, uh, I mean, you just, it's, you know, like water off a duck's back. You just got to let it roll off, uh, get to the meat of the message and just, you know, pass that on to people. Yeah. And, you know, similar, similar on the night where we would, uh, you know, we would start out with, uh, you know, kind of a, a daily recap. This is, uh, this is what's going on. And, uh, and then, you know, night crew, you know, I, I joke, we were the, the more fun crew as the, uh, as the, you know, the, the race went on, um, you know, drawing on things in the environment, you know, uh, people walking across this, you know, uh, on the side of the road, we, you know, referred to them as, as zombie one, zombie two kind of, kind of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and so we'd have to draw on that. We had, um, you know, themed playlists. We, you know, we went, uh, you know, both country and Western one night and, uh, you know, disco the next. So, uh, you know, staying, Staying engaged, uh, you know, sometimes it happened in conversation. Sometimes it happened in, in uh, you know, what song's going to play next. Um, it happened in different ways, and, uh, and I certainly struggled at times to, to maintain anything that would be interesting to Sarah as well. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it was really a, a, just a difference in what the two shifts experienced. Um, the day shift had all of the nightmarish traffic. And so it was hard for them to be that fun crew because, you know, Steve's a fun guy. Um, he totally would have had me laughing and joking and, and stuff just like the night crew did. But they had to deal with the big semi-trucks, the logging trucks. I mean, it was scary, scary traffic at times. Um, and, and so there wasn't really a whole lot of room for fun. But there was one day, I think it was either Indiana or Missouri, 
where we exited some major highway and we're just in the middle of nowhere. And the next thing I know, my crew chief's not driving anymore. He's on the side of the road in a coconut bra. (laughs) 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 And so they just had this crazy day. I think we were playing disco music and um, some other guy was dressed in a pink girly outfit and he was like what the heck is going on that that all started outside of jefferson is that where that was in the river valley so they got into it too and they had fun when they could but um yeah it's a dangerous race with dangerous traffic and and the demands of the two different crews meant that when the night shift was in direct follow they could be a little kookier and a little more relaxed and they're just you know there there weren't so many trucks the coconut bra, secret to success. Anyway. Yeah, they got a sh- picture of him next to the Embarrass River, which was funny. Because <laughs> he's totally not that kind of guy to be wearing <laughs> coconut bra. And I think he was in a disco top and 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 stuff like that. So We had to, we had to clean the poor sequins off of Brian. <laughs> yeah, he'll never be the same. <laughs> and the disco top, coincidentally, when uh, you know when you sent us on that, that mission, you will get those bars fixed. Um <laughs> That was a side mission that happened during that time. So I'm not convinced that we would have uh, we would have had the disco top because that was acquired somewhere around Wichita. Yeah, I wore the disco top too. It was <laughs> passed around a bit. <laughs> <laughs> now, do, you mentioned the traffic and everything else. What was what was the most dangerous part of the race for you? Do you feel like like where you were thinking, "Oh my God, will I bike through this?" Or you know, a crash you had, or just what was the Low point in terms of that. Good Lord. Uh, the whole country, really. Uh, <laughs> I could tell you where there wasn't traffic. It would probably be a shorter list. Um, Monument Valley, surprisingly, was probably the scariest place for me. Um, I've never seen RVs and people drive in such an insane manner. And, um, you know, we had a media crew with us, and they kept wanting my follow car to drop back so they could get a good shot with perspective. I said, you can't. I'm going to die. I mean, I literally thought I would die if they backed out of the shot, because people would just go to pass, and there's not enough passing room with the oncoming cars. They didn't care. It's like the other car was forced to go partially off the road, so we all didn't die. So um, that was terrifying. In the Rockies, you're on Highway 150, which is busy. So I'm descending at over 40 miles an hour next to cars and trucks. And it just, it took a lot of courage for me to do that. and I just, I, I still can't believe that I, that I did that, you yeah. know, that I wasn't, I wasn't terrified in any way at the time. It was just like, okay, this is what I have to get through. And, um, yeah, I've, I can't even imagine now sitting here in Iowa, nice and safe that, that I descended into Durango next to cars like that, but I did. Wow. And, um, there were some parts of Ohio that were just terrifying. And my husband, we deputized. It deputized him as crew on the road so he could be in the follow car. And, um, you know, it was, it was upsetting to me to have him in the car and see that because it was, it was frankly terrifying, you know, to have traffic treating me in a disrespectful manner. And these guys, you know, the day crew, I felt bad for him because they would say, okay, there's five semis in a motorhome and we've got to drop back and uh, be careful. That'd be a scary moment. And they just had to watch it happen. So whatever happened to me, if the cars gave me room, that was great. If they didn't, they had to watch it. So I felt bad for that. And knowing my husband was in the car watching that was was really a hard, hard day for me. And so they're, you know, trying to prod me on to get to this hotel. And I just mentally was like, 
I, this was really, that was really a hard, hard time for me. We, and obviously this race is so excruciating on so many levels, which we're talking about here. But you saw an amazing amount of the country from kind of that ideal position of a bike seat in such a concentrated... Do you feel like you saw the scenery of America, or is that almost just... You couldn't because you were focused on this this mission we're talking well, about. While I could still turn my head and neck, I saw some really nice stuff. <laughs> there, was some, there was some really beautiful parts of Ram and parts where I felt like I was home. Um, Missouri was one. Once we got off Highway 54, there was just a whole section of Missouri that was beautiful and lots of hills. And um, once we got into back into climbing, I felt more like myself. So... Um, that to me was, was always positive because there's no arrow penalty for sitting upright on a climb. You just have power, and I still had plenty of power in my legs. So anything hilly was was good for me. Um, and some parts of the Appalachians that were really really scenic, um, it just it, it became a struggle to to turn my head. And so now I'm appreciating it in pictures. And what was the biggest surprise along the whole race? Would that have been when your husband and kids surprised you? Or what sticks in your memory and maybe the whole team's memory in terms of that kind of a thing? The, the roadside people, both you know, people you know like your family or just average strangers and fans that, that came along and to support you. Well, my family showing up was quite a surprise because that really was not anything my husband and I had discussed. <laughs> So I was really shocked to see them there in Kansas. i riding along, and I see this really, really tall person. I'm like, that looks like my son. <laughs> and I, then I saw my girls and my husband. So that was very, very cool. But just the, the positive energy and people showing up on the course and following me back at home, I was really, really surprised at the amount of attention that this race received. And it seemed to get more as I went along. And I don't know if that's because people realized that it had turned into a different kind of race for me or if they were just that genuinely interested in, in a mom doing this kind of thing. I really don't know, but it was it was much appreciated. It was very cool. What about how did you guys experience that side of it, seeing the other people encountering fans, onlookers, maybe people didn't realize there was a race going on and all of a sudden they're swept up in it and they're talking to you? you know, we would occasionally get that, you know, it, uh, stopping at a at a gas station or convenience store, you know what's what's going on? What's with all the bikes? And uh, you know, one of our our crew members, uh, Connie, had business cards, which you know, here, check us out, follow us. You know, we're going across the country and that kind of thing. Um, you know, certainly across the Midwest, there seemed to be a pickup in in you know, random and even focused support with uh, with friends coming out. Um, you know, certainly that's a more drivable distance than. Uh, than heading out west, but uh, you know, support really, really picked up across the Midwest, and it was it was good to see you know people we knew, people we didn't know, people who who knew her story, and uh, and that was uh, that was fantastic to see. Any, anything you noticed, Steve, when you were out there during the day, and you know, uh, wearing whatever articles of clothing, and standing in the road, and spurring her on, or you know, I just think um, to Darren's point, like the randomness of people. I was in contact with enough people back here that I kind of knew who might be coming at some point during the day. And so I had a little bit of an, an awareness, I guess. I think some people were just kind of trying to use me as a gauge to how, how Sarah was feeling and, uh, and how they'd be, uh, and how they'd be received. But yeah, you know, 
kid showing up in the middle of the road with a handful of popsicles. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that random stuff. And and in since my race kind of went in the crapper from a performance perspective, it was nice to um, to be able to stop and visit with those people because at some point I just really no longer cared about, <laughs> about my finish time. I knew I knew I'd get there in in plenty of time and or at least I knew that before I realized there was a tropical storm coming my way. But um, just to be able to stop and, and greet the gaggle of girls that met me in Missouri and um, we spent a little bit of time with this girl that um, followed me for a little while in Kansas and there was a young man that lives in Kansas that I knew was going to be on the route and I got to ride with him for a little while and um, yeah just lots of random coolness and there was a family from Urbandale that happened to be down in the area um, and they stopped and delivered me some glow sticks which was just beyond cool and um, so stuff like that that I, I was able to take the time to visit with those people just for a minute so you know when you're looking at your finish time it's like you know, how much did that all add up to? And does that really matter to me? No, no, I was happy to take the time and just enjoy what turned out to be a pretty amazing, although painful experience. And so were those last 100 miles the hardest or was it the rainstorm you encountered as you were getting toward the East Coast? What was um, the rainstorm was, was probably the worst. The tropical was that tropical storm cindy was a tropical depression that i had to ride through so there was rain the day before in ohio for a significant amount of time and then we rode into that storm in west virginia and it was just like biblical rain and winds and like there's a river coming down the mountain at me that i'm supposed to be riding up and it's just like how much worse could this ram get <laughs> It was to the point where I said to my night crew chief, Joe, I said, Joe, what have I done wrong in my life that I'm being punished so? Because we had not had a break at all in the weather. It was either, you know, wicked hot at, in the day or crazy cold at night, headwind until Kansas, all the way through Kansas, I think, before we ever saw a tailwind. And it just was like, this is just kind of hard. <laughs> So um, there was a tornado that actually touched down on the course, and we had to be shuttled through the debris field. But, I mean, that was probably, I think, the hardest, the hardest thing for my night crew is just to know that, you know, okay, 20 minutes after this nap's over, we're sending her back out into the storm, you know, and I kept getting hypothermic. And, uh, yeah, it was really rough. But then the next day when the rain finally cleared, um, we were at what was supposed to be the hardest section of Ram that everyone talks about. And I was, I was geeked about it. Like the water's going to be nice. It's going to be mountains and I've got legs. I just don't have a neck. So <laughs> I was happy about the day. And unfortunately for my crew chief, <laughs> he decided to rain on my parade and started telling me how hard my day was going to be after such a hard night. So, yeah, I lost my temper, like yelled at him. <laughs> F-bombs and everything? Oh, oh, yeah. Well, there were plenty of those even, <laughs> even in the, the happy moments. It is the language of my people. <laughs> yes, it is the language of my people. So, unfortunately for him, he stepped all over my mental game, and, and I regret yelling at him. But um, I, I told him after it was done, I said, if you said that to me again, I'd probably yell at you again. <laughs> right. But I went on to have a really, really great day. You know, at the end of Ram, I, I didn't worry about my head and neck because I was climbing, you know, and, and it was nice. It was nice weather, finally. So I had a good day, and that's, that's where I got queen of the mountains. And it was like, it was, yeah, it was cool. 
it was nice to have a nice day on Ram. So I wondered about I wondered about everybody's emotions at the finish. I mean, not just yours, but you all went through this together. So what was racing through your head when you guys were there at the finish line? Uh, maybe something you didn't expect. Maybe a feel. Maybe feelings you uh, didn't expect at that time. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I feel like I kind of got my emotions out. You know, as our. our we knew she was going to finish during the day, so that that final sign off, so to speak, in in the morning, you know, we we passed the hat around and and just uh, you know talked about you know how how it's been a pleasure for us to be able to witness um, you know just some courageous acts out there, some some fantastic uh, cycling, and uh, and you know we had a front seat for that, so. Um, that was probably one of the more emotional times uh, for me. Certainly, certainly on duty as we were as we were um, um, signing off. But uh, you know, by that time, I think much like much like Sarah, by the time we got to the actual finish line, you know, I collected myself pretty well and 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 kind of dealt with that when I needed to. Steve, Sarah, I'll just uh, I'll just sit here and you know keep. The faucet just keeps turning on every time I think about this. So, because um, you know what she's been through as a cyclist yourself in so many ways too with yeah, these events. You know, I guess I uh, I probably tend to wear my heart out on my sleeve a little bit more. So that's fine. She can see now. Yeah. It means a lot. It means a lot. Yeah. What was going through your head, Sarah? Um, I think I had most of my emotions. Um, about finishing back in Pennsylvania um, during the daylight. The guys, um, <laughs> it was funny because I had asked for them to put on some Taylor Swift earlier in the race because that, that's what my daughters listened to, and I thought, you know, that would, that would cheer me up. And at the time it had, but then they put it on as we got closer to the finish line in Pennsylvania. I'm like, you got to turn it off. I just started bawling. I was so homesick. Um, and that was a big part of my decision to ride through the night and not take my long sleep in the last 24 hours, um, just, just to get this done. Um, so I think most of my emotions were worked out even before that last hundred miles. Um, just the lo the last hundred miles are so long. And then knowing that you're going to finish in the day, you finish in heavy traffic. So it was just like it was never going to end. So by the time I actually got to the actual finish line, they got a smile out of me um, for the pictures. And then it's like, okay, you're done. Now ride two more miles down to this gas station. And so I ride two more miles down to the gas station. <laughs> and then you change. And, like, literally I just walked out of this gas station, and the race director, Fred Bolding, was there, and he's, like, talking to me about next year. Like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> there is no next year. And... Um, so we had a brief conversation, and then it's this more waiting around and getting back on the bike so you can do this parade down the finish. And unfortunately for these guys, they had tried to do some nice stuff for me at the finish, and I was so, so tired and just so exhausted. I just wanted it to be over. Like, I, I appreciated it at the time, and I'm like, I just need to get the hell back on this bike and get this done. And it was hot. And so getting to the finish line was very cool. It's, it's both the the coolest start line and the coolest finish line that I've ever been to. It's just the process of getting there takes forever. <laughs> 
So, and there is no next year. Do you still stand by that now a couple weeks out? Or is there some other challenge you want to, do you want to do different challenges? Uh, uh, do you want to do extreme biking, ultra distance biking? What, what has this made you want for the future? Yeah, oh, I've not retired as an ultra cyclist, but I said going into this that there would be only one Ram. I mean, I do have four kids that need to go to college. And so financially, this isn't something I can... Um, I can do on a yearly basis. This is a hugely expensive race. And um, just just from a not only financial perspective, but just knowing all of the effort that my friends put into this, um, the time that they put into this, like, how can I ask them to do this again? You know, we finished, uh, we won. So it's not like I could go back and be more firster. Um, the only reason to go back is to better my finish time. And I don't feel like I have an enormous enough ego to say, okay, guys, let's give up, you know, three more weeks of your life. Let's spend another 20 grand just so I can go back and do better. I mean, it's like, what? There's, yeah. Seriously. So there's a lot of reasons to, to not go back. Um, and the other, the other thing is my age. Um, I don't, I don't know how many more years I have. Um, and there's so many things that I can do on a bike. There's so many cool races that I could do. There's self-supported races that, um, that I'm interested in. And, you know, given, given what happened with my head and neck in this situation, you know, perhaps something self-supported where I can get off the bike and, um, you know, not, not be quite so relentless as you have to be for Ram might, you know, be something I, I would do well at. So I just, so many different things have my interest. It's hard for me to, to justify doing that race again. And, um, you know, and the, the four kids and the financial situation is really the, the clincher there. <laughs> Understood. You know, that, that uh, reminds me of a question where often, and especially as you said, as you gained attention pedaling across the country into the Midwest and on to the East Coast, you would be described so often as this mom from Urbandale who's on RAM or who, this mom from Urbandale who's this amazing ultra cyclist. How would you like to be described ideally yourself? What words would you choose to describe Well, yourself? I mean, I think I'm a mom and an ultra cyclist. Yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't really add any other words to that. Um, I don't think I've done anything that anybody else with some self-discipline couldn't do. We usually ask people on the podcast about... Uh, the final question is usually, what is your favorite kind of pie? But we've already, you've been on the podcast and we've asked you that. So I guess I would ask if you and or the team, did you guys have any good pie on RAM? I did. (laughs) I had the most delicious piece of warm cherry pie at a little steakhouse um, just outside of Bluff, Utah. I saw pictures. Oh, (laughs) Oh, it was warm. It was flaky. Oh, it was absolutely delicious. It, it rivaled any pie I've had on Ragbri, and that's saying something. That's good. I had O pie across the country. Zero. O, o. Zero. Wow. So, yeah, late night diners or whatever, you know, just I didn't, didn't sample any. So. And, and uh, did you get any pie uh, on the bike or not? So. Well, no, I'm allergic to wheat. So oh, that's right. You're allergic to wheat. You mentioned I got, that. But... Uh, I got popsicles. That's right. Popsicles. Somebody brought me a gluten-free pizza. Um, one of my crew uh, talked the Domino's guy into delivering on the route. So I had gluten-free pizza a couple times, which is cool. But no, it was, yeah, no pie. <laughs> well, good deal. Well, congratulations to all of you. I know it was such a team effort, and thanks for sharing some of the just amazing stories and the emotion wrapped up in RAM. So uh, I really appreciate you guys taking the time today 
and during the route and beforehand. So congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Greetings, bikers. This is Andrea, and this is Parrot Talk. Um, yes, we are getting dangerously close to the ride, and things are getting a little loopy here in the Ragbri office. But I'm here for you. So um, today I'm going to combine two questions that I got because I think I should address them before the ride, and I don't have very many Parrot Talks left before the ride. In fact, this is the last Parrot Talk before Ragbri 45. So the first question was, what are your favorite vendors along the ride? And then the second one was more of a comment that can kind of tie into that, which is how the heck do you get a lot of caffeine early enough on the ride? Because if you're like me, you're going to need caffeine right away so that you can function with normal society. So our Facebook follower, Steve, gave us this genius idea of why don't you carry some coffee-covered espresso beans in your bag with you, and then you can eat them right away and have a little chocolate and a little coffee and get going right from the start. Now, the only dangerous part of this plan is that the chocolate could melt. So you're going to want to put that in a pretty tight container, like a Tupperware or like double Ziploc bag it maybe, just because you do not want chocolate on your bike shorts. Let me tell you. So, um, so that was, a, I thought that was a great idea. Um, you could also do, um, I've had like noon tablets or like Gatorade blocks or cliff blocks, sorry. Um, that have some caffeine in them. There are some kind of bike, biker products. But at that some point in the week, you're going to get really sick of um, like the Gatorade taste. Just doesn't even matter what flavor it is, just that Gatorade taste. And any kind of like sports nutrition is going to taste a little bit funky and over sugary to you. Plus, there's nothing like the taste of coffee that will wake you up almost as much as the caffeine, but not quite as much as the caffeine. Um, so I thought that was a genius idea. I never tried it yet. So, you know, you'll have to test that one for yourself. Um, but there will be coffee vendors along the way. You just have to ride for a certain distance to reach those coffee vendors. And you're probably going to have to talk to someone in between your tent and that vendor. So you've been warned. Um, anyway, as far as my favorite vendors, I don't have one particular favorite vendor. Um, Although there is going to be a Mr. Pork Chop Day on Monday during the ride. So that'll be my favorite vendor on that day because um, Paul and Matt and their family have always been awesome to Ragbri and they are one of the coolest vendors out there. Um, plus, you just get a big old honking Iowa chop. There's nothing like that after biking. You really, I mean, you just get all your protein in one, all your salt in one. Um, it feels good, man. Um, anyway, so. Um, other than that, the type of vendor that I would recommend is any kid on the side of the road trying to sell you lemonade or Kool-Aid or any kind of drink on the side of the road because those kids are the sweetest and they'll oftentimes give you a really good deal and you're going to make their day for giving them a quarter or whatever for their drinks or their cookies. Sometimes they have homemade cookies stashed underneath their table. So, you know, it pays to stop and find out. Um, the other kind of vendor that I really love on Ragbri is any kind of grandma or any kind of church lady. Doesn't matter what kind of church. Um, and it could be also a synagogue or a mosque or whatever. Um, as long as they come there once a week and they gather and make food, oh my God, it's going to be good. Um, you're going to have the best lasagna you ever ate, the best handballs you ever ate, the best pasta you ever ate. And there's going to be a lot of it. Um, sometimes the church dinners are pricey in the overnight towns, but usually they are worth it because a lot of times they're all you can eat or else the portions are huge. 
Um, so you really can't go wrong, especially in the arena of pie. Anyone over the age of, say, 75 knows what they're doing with a pie, and they're not going to disappoint you any flavor. Um, so a lot of the times you'll be stopping in a pasture town and you'll get a piece of pie and it's really amazingly delicious. And you ask the person who sold it to you, Hey, who made this? And nine times out of 10, the answer will be, Oh, it was my grandma or is a lady from my church. Let me tell you, these ladies and sometimes men know what's up. So while we're talking about church ladies and grandmas who make delicious desserts, I want to give a shout out to one of my very favorite desserts after pie which is the scotcheroo. Now, if you're not from the Midwest, you may not know what this is. You may call it something different, but basically a scotcheroo is like um, a peanut buttery butterscotch rice crispy bar with about a quarter inch of chocolate frosting, icing, some kind of chocolate on the top, and it is to die for. So if you see these along the ride and you never had one, do yourself a favor if you don't have peanut allergies and try one because they are awesome. And they are great to, if you have a little piece of foil, you can put them in your bag and save them for later or, well, you're going to have to decide what to do with it. But anyway, so after the, after the kids are your number one best bet, number two, church ladies and grandmas, number three, go to any local vendor. Um, The people who come out to the town and are trying to raise money for some kind of charity or some kind of other good cause, um, a lot of these people are fundraising for their town to build a pool, to help improve the park, to plant some trees. Um, You're going to have to kind of ask around as far as what exactly people are fundraising for. Or you could look at our blogs from the pre-ride where I tried to outline whatever information I got at the time, although plans have changed since then. And more and more people are fundraising for awesome causes. So in summary, make sure you cover your bases with caffeine, potentially with chocolate covered espresso beans or Or plan ahead and make sure you know where you're going to be stopping for your caffeine. And make sure you stop by Mr. Porkchop on Monday. And any kids selling lemonade by the side of the road, anytime you see one, and eat as much grandma-made pie as possible. Or grandpa-made pie. I've had a lot of good pies made by grandpas as well. And then go from there because you are going to be eating a lot. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. And I think you should just go with all of the above. If you have anything specific that you'd like to recommend, maybe even above and beyond the big vendors that people, a lot of people know about on Ragbri, I would love to hear them. I will be living vicariously through your descriptions of said vendors because I'll be in the overnight towns and I won't give access to most of them. So I'd love to hear about them. You can get a hold of us at Just Go Bike on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Or you can also email me at JustGoBikePodcast at gmail.com. And I hope you have a really fun and safe time out on Ragbri 45. Um, if you'd like to come and say hi to me, I will be working at the merchandise trailers. I split my time pretty much 50-50 between the one in the uh, main campground and the one with the main festivities downtown. So hopefully I'll see you there. I'd love to chat with you and maybe you could ask me a pair talk question. I would love that. Or just say hi. Whatever. Um, anyway, see you out there. Have fun. Brap. We've come to the conclusion of another edition of the Just Go Bike Podcast. This is episode 26. 
So I hope you enjoyed listening. We appreciate having all those listeners and hearing from you from time to time. So thanks for dropping us a line or a text along the way. Who's the show brought to you by, Mark? Hey, this show, we can't do it without our great sponsors. Think Iowa City and its curious surrounding communities. This has been one of the greatest places to ride bikes. And it's too bad we're not coming there on Ragbrite to enjoy that community this year. But the good news is you can come and ride your bike there any other week of the year and have a great time. Bikes to You, one of our Ragbrite charters. And I, I just got over to Grinnell this last weekend to see their new bunkhouses and shower trailer. And I got to tell you, this is going to be one of the best bike shops on Ragpri. They really are uh, putting in the extra service to make people happy. And then finally, Primal. If you're looking for custom bike jerseys, shorts, other accessories, Primal Wear is the place to go. So visit their website. And when they're out at the Ragbri Expo, come by and say hi to Dave and, and everybody else that's uh, working for Primal. Yeah. So you'll see two of those, well, actually all three of those out on Ragbri that week. Primal's with us the entire week out on the road, set up right by the, the downtown booths for, for Ragbri. Bikes to you, one of the bike shops. They'll be out there, you know, wrenching the entire week. And then we'll see some folks from Think Iowa City. I know Josh Schomberger and uh, Team Spare Tire will be out there pedaling. So it's not just sponsors, you know, with their checkbook, but they also believe in what we're doing here. So great to see all those people coming up this next week. You can find these show notes at justgobike.net. You can also check us out on Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, Google Play. So, you know, check us out on one of those. But um, lots, of, lots of great episodes. So if you, you want to go back and take a look, all those catalogs are up there. So just give a listen if you have time. So be sure to subscribe. It's your favorite purveyor for podcasts to the at Just Go Bike podcast and join us next week for more. Okay, and I'm going to leave you with this final thought. Since it is Ragbri Eve, um, those people that are out there for the first time, just want you to think about this. If you're not having a good time on Ragbri, lower your expectations. Thanks again for listening. Let us know what you think of the show by leaving a rating and a review. They really help us out a lot and help others find the show. For more information, check out justgobike.net. The show's theme song was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Steer. Brian Powers is the show's producer, and the Just Go Bike podcast is brought to you by the Des Moines Register, a part of the USA Today Network.